Just turn in your Bibles in the text that was read, uh, read, and we want to consider this morning the unbelievable, or the indescribable, or the incredible, whatever description we'd want to put on it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is unique when it comes to the event itself. All four Gospels end their narrative of Jesus' life with the resurrection and the ascension. There's absolutely no contradiction in any of them concerning this. The resurrection of Christ is one of the most brilliant and legal, as one of the most brilliant and legal mind in the history of the United States legal system said this, Simon Greenleaf. He said that the testimony of the evangelists, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after examining them by the rule of the evidence administrated in the courts of justice, after Dr. Greenfield, who was a, a professor of law at Harvard University, he said, after examining the, 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 the testimonies, all four Gospels, with the rules that are used for examining laws in a nation, all the evidence that the righteous of the Gospel are telling is the truth. All the evidences written by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John it's true. And if it is true, then, my friends, the resurrection has a lot to say to you and to me. And this morning, we want to take the next few moments to talk about this incredible event that has changed human history, that continues to change human lives. Paul, as you know, was once a Pharisee, someone who did not take In fact, he had absolutely no confidence in whatever Peter and James and John had to say. Until one day, this great apostle was on his way to Damascus. And something happened. Something happened that transformed his life and has transformed history to the place where St. Paul, the unbeliever who is now writing to us, is the one who has written most of the New Testament the one who did not believe at first. Where did he get his information? He said, I delivered to you that which was also given to me. In other words, he did not manufacture the stories. He did not go into this with some kind of deceptive motive so that he could use what he was about to say to write a book. In fact, because of the preaching of the resurrection, it cost him his life. It was read to us from 1 Corinthians this morning, 15, 12 to 20. And I want to share with you some thoughts from that text that covers some of the events. I want to suggest, first of all, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not always believed. It didn't always come home to those who heard it as something factual, something that they could embrace. And I want to share with you initially, initially, at the beginning, that there were three areas of disbelief in the resurrection. First, 
there was the religious unbelief, the religious denial. This is found in Matthew 28, 11 to 15. And I love this story because there's some humor in it. Here were the soldiers. Perhaps, I, I, I was going to say they were probably as white as sheets. Because something happened over the night season that they are not able to explain. We are not told how the angels came to roll the stone away. But we are told that the stone was rolled away by an angel. And it, it, it shook these soldiers. <laughs> and so they ran, they ran to the high priest. They ran to those who had condemned Jesus to death. And they told them, something has happened. The tomb is empty. This is, not, this is not the disciples. These are the soldiers. And the religious leaders said to them, listen, let me read it to you. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief, the priest, all that had taken place. And when they had assembled the elders and the council, they gave sufficient sum of money and said to them, tell the, the, the people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. I love that. Here were men whose lives depended upon their diligence doing what they were supposed to do as soldiers. Anyone who would be caught doing what these men are saying would be killed right away. That was the law. And they gave them money. The chief priests, the religious leaders. Let's say that while we were asleep. Now, now here's something. Uh, several years ago, my little boy was just a little boy, of course. And he did something, and I asked a stupid question, and he gave me a stupid answer. <laughs> He's the only boy I have. He's the only son I have. And he did something that he was not supposed to do. And I said, who did this? And he said, my brother. <laughs> my brother. <laughs> the disciples said, that the soldiers said, while we were sleeping, they stole the body. Here's my question. How could they tell what was happening if they were asleep? How, how could they be so affirmative in their answer? We were asleep. And while we were asleep, how did they know it was the disciples? Could have been somebody else. Some, some in our day said that Jesus' body was left and dogs ate it. So they could have made up a story. But I want you to see, my friends, that... The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not a teaching that was embraced by those who were there, who lived right in Jerusalem, that they could say, yeah, it's true. There were those who, who feel that there is no way they can bring themselves to believe this incredible story because from a, from, from a mental, intellectual point of view, it doesn't make sense. I, I love this story. I love the story of of the man who woke up one morning and said to his wife, I am dead. And his wife said, what? 
He said, I'm dead. His wife said, you're not dead? Yes, I am. And he continued this for days. And his wife said, you better go and see a doctor. So he went to the doctor and the doctor said, why are you here? And he said, I'm here because I'm dead. And the doctor said, you're not dead. Yes, I am. So the doctor tried an experiment. He said, um, do dead people bleed? He said, no, I don't think so. So the doctor took a needle, pricked his finger, and out came blood. Guess what he said? What do you know? Dead people do bleed. <laughs> you know what we call that? Don't confuse me with the facts I've already made up my mind. Here we have, my friends, the facts we're told. But in order to get around the fact, they're going to make up a story. And they're going to deny the most important event in the history of human beings. They're going to deny it because they don't want to believe it. So initially, the resurrection was not believed. It was religiously denied. It was politically denied. It was politically denied because it was denied by the Sadducees. The Sadducees belonged to a political group made up of, of, of people who, did, who were so materialistic that they saw nothing could happen outside of what they could taste and touch and see. They're called the Sadducees. They belong to, to the council. They're not mentioned much in the Bible except you see them creeping up in places wherever, wherever there was a question about life after death, the Sadducees would, would, would be there. We don't have time to go into their background. But you know what they said in Matthew chapter 23? There is no resurrection. You know what they said in Acts 23.8? There is no resurrection. In Matthew 22, I should say, not 22.23. They said there is no resurrection because they live for the now. There was no utopia for them. For them, this is it. There is, in fact, you remember the time when that woman who had married seven brothers who all died? They thought they would put Jesus into a corner and they would ask, okay, if there is a, is a, if there is a resurrection, whose wife will she be over there? And they thought they had Jesus in a corner. And Jesus said, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the scriptures because the, the Bible says this, that in that place where we're going, there will be no marriage. We will not live as we're living here. We're living in a different new kind of life which some people claim to be pie in the sky. It's not a pie in the sky, friends. It is as real as we are real right now. Washington State and Oregon were known to be the most irreligious states in the United States until six months ago. It has now been taken over by New Hampshire. That is where the most, as, as far as the, the <laughs> I'm going to use a poll. Isn't that a terrible thing to use to try and prove something? You remember what the poll did to this country not too long ago? So please forgive me. A recent poll shows that New Hampshire has 
the most irreligious nuns in the country. Now, nuns is not N-U-N-S. It's N-O-N-E-S. No religion at all. None. Listen to one of their local assembly men. He said this. I fail to see the difficulty in this cultural shift, the shift that people moving away from believing in things like the resurrection. I fail to see the difficulty in this cultural shift in an age of scientific progress, information and exploration, and the understanding of the working of our world. It is difficult, if not foolish, to hold on to archaic beliefs that deny reality. <laughs> it is difficult, if not foolish. This is a political leader. And it is interesting, if you notice what is happening to our times, almost everything is becoming political today. Everything. If you want to buy a loaf of bread, you've got to make sure that they believe like the culture say you're supposed to believe. If they don't believe, you go somewhere else. They're doing this all over the country. Everything. Sports people, you have to say what the political system is saying. And there, in the beginning, initially, the resurrection of Jesus was denied by political leaders. Today, it is denied by many. I may balance this by saying, I found out just recently, that every Monday morning, I think, or every once a month, a Democrats and Republicans and a few independents meet at a place in Washington, D.C. for Bible study. I want to be balanced in what I'm saying, but on a whole, my friends, political leaders do not go for things that they cannot taste, touch, or see. And so religiously, the resurrection was denied. Politically, the resurrection was denied. What about philosophically? What about those who were the thinkers? John read to us from John 17, and uh, um, Acts 17, and it says, the philosophers sat in Athens, and all they were concerned about is what can we argue about today? What is the latest thing? What, what, is, what is that that we can, we, can, we, can, we can see if we can find enough language to get rid of it? They call Paul a blabbermouth. <laughs> He's rumbling something about a resurrection from the dead. The resurrection, my friends, caught the attention because it was the latest news. And they wanted to see as philosophers how they could argue that this does not really make sense. It was outside of the mode of thinking. And anything that is outside the mode of human intellect, we believe, does not really confer, uh, uh, conform to what human beings are really like. I found this very interesting. The man who held the chair for mathematics at Cambridge University was Sir Isaac Newton. And Newton, of course, 
you will remember, was one who is credited with finally discovering the law of what? Energy. Gravity. Several centuries later, another man is holding that chair. His name is Stephen Harkins. And look, look, look at the two poles. Isaac Newton says, studying the law of gravity, you have come to the conclusion that if there's a law, there's a lawgiver. And there's a lawgiver, the Bible says, the lawgiver for how gravity operates is God. Stephen Hawking is using gravity to deny the existence of God. Here is one, two people holding the same chair for the same purpose. And they come to opposite direction. One's world view will determine one's belief. The world view. If Stephen Hawking does not believe that God exists, he cannot, he cannot promote something that would suggest God. At one point he did. One point he did. But the more he listened to those who were Listening to him, he came to the conclusion the universe does not need God to exist. We'll leave that alone for now. That, my friend, is what we're dealing with politically, philosophically. We come to presently. How is the resurrection dealt with in the 21st century? It is a clash between what we call theism and naturalism intellectually. Theism believes that the universe is not all there is, that ultimate reality is God and not the universe. Naturalism believes that this is all there is and that the universe explains itself. I want to ask a question. When, when we put our minds to understand things, do we not go from what is? You know, when, when, when my son said, my brother did it, I knew that he didn't have a brother. Whether he believes it or not, I don't know. I, I never asked him. I should have asked him. I'd have found out something. But, but he was going from where he was. And he says, the one way to get out of this dilemma is to create something that might sound reasonable to my father. But he didn't realize that, my mo like my mother would say, I wasn't born yesterday. Listen to Professor Nigel from the University of New York. It isn't that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I do not want my universe to have one. That's what, that's what the mind, that's what the mind is saying. If I believe in God, then my morality has to change if I believe in God, then I have to become subservient to someone who is greater than myself, outside of myself. But as long as I don't believe in God, I am autonomous. I can be my own God. 
I can be my own savior. As someone said, I don't need to go to heaven on somebody else's shoulder. You cannot get there, my friends, apart from that one shoulder. That's what the Bible teaches. Technology. Intellectually, technologically. Listen to the voice of one Johannes Kiefer. Kepler, I'm sorry. Professor Kepler said this, the chief aim of all investigation of the eternal world, the, the external world, I'm sorry, should be to discover the rational order which has been imposed by God and which he regulated to be the language, I love this, to be the language expressed in mathematics. If you want to see, and I was, I, almost, I was tempted, I came across a quote I wanted to bring, but I thought it would take too much time. But mathematics, when you think of it, I, I remember when we wanted our daughter to take piano, and, and Heather was studying piano, and, and then she got to the place where she had to go through the rudiments, where she had to go through the exercise, and she just hated it. I, I, I used to hate when Wednesday came along because I had to take her to some place I know she didn't want to go. But when she said, Dad, can I give up the piano? And I said, talk to me when you're 18. <laughs> and, uh, and one day someone introduced Heather to someone who taught accompaniment. And this person took Heather and taught her accompaniment with the piano. By the way, when, when she finished school, high school, and she went to a prestigious school in, in um, Toronto where we live, and the reason she was able to go there because she passed the test with her voice to go there. So it's not that we were able to afford that school. She was able to get in. Only if you had certain talents could you could, and she, she, she did. The first school, we took her to the first university, and she wanted to go into music. They asked her, do you play the piano? <laughs> I said, see? See? <laughs> see? And I remember saying to her, Heather, if you learn to play the, the piano, you will learn to think. Because one of the things that you learn by playing the piano is mathematical equations, the eighth and the fourth, and you can learn that. And 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 I hate to tell you what she said to me. <laughs> Daddy, I'm not interested in math. <laughs> you know what she's doing this morning, right now? She's in North Albany leading a band of people worshiping God. What she didn't want, she had to go through. And I told her that this will benefit her. It is benefiting her today. Technologically, my friends, when we study the external world, listen to what the scripture says. The heavens declare the glory of God. It is telling. It is telling us things. It is suggesting things to us. We look at a universe and we cannot conclude that the universe just simply got there. Because no matter what you say, if there is a big bang, there is a big banger. At a recent conference, at a recent conference in California, listen to this, 
a conference on the Salk Institute of Biological Sciences at La Jolla, California. This was held in 2006. Listen, listen to this. Beyond belief, science, religion, and reason, and survival. Beyond belief, science, religion, reason, and survival. Addressing the question whether silence should do away with religion. Nobel laureate Steven Weinberg said, the world needs to wake up from the long nightmare of religion. Anything we scientists can do to weaken the hold of religion, we should do it. And may in fact be our greatest contribution to civilization. We, we have come to the place, friends, We've come to the place where technology has been such a fantastic privilege that God has given that the very thing that God has given us to learn of him, we have taken to use against the proof of his existence. I'd like to quote to you what one of the modern technologists says, if I can, if I can shave with an electric razor, put coffee in a percolator for a couple of seconds, if I can do all those things that technology now provides for me, who needs God? When I was in a hospital three months ago, no, four months ago, I, I remember talking to the doctor, the doctor talking to me and me talking to the doctor, and he's telling me, he's telling me what they discovered in my body. And on and on he went. <laughs> and uh, as he was talking to me, I said, began to pray. I said, Lord, I've got to tell this man something about how I got this body. And I was praying right there as he was talking to me. And when the opportunity came, I said to him, you know, doctor, you were talking about my body and da-da-da-da-da. I said, you know what? It reminds me of what the Bible says, that I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. And he looked at me and he said, I've always told my patients that the body is magic. I said, you can say magic if you want. <laughs> I'm just telling you that someone made it. It's not magic. It just, did, it just did happen. It wasn't just something that happened. And I'm, I'm here. My friends, the world of technology simply tells us this. Listen, that if man is able to do what he has been able to do, it's only logical that somebody smarter than he is made him. If there is a law of gravity, you're not just saying Newton or even Stephen Hawking didn't say that gravity exists. They said there is a law. They can't explain gravity. They can only say how gravity works. And so there is a law. And there's a law, there's a lawgiver. Please listen. Jesus Christ, before he went to the, to the grave, before he went to the cross, told his disciples everything that was going to happen. And at the end of it, he said, and he will rise again on the third day because the resurrection is not about technology. The resurrection is about the power of God. That's what the resurrection is about. It's the promise of God. 
And so, looking at the time, let me, let, let me come to my second thought. We're looking at the resurrection denied. It was denied initially, religiously, politically, philosophically. Now we come to the present age. The resurrection is still being denied. You hear it in a minute. Our text says this. How can some of you say that Christ is not risen if there is no resurrection? Some were saying it. Were they outside the church or were they inside the church? We're not told. You know, you always hear this thing. They say, I have yet for anyone to tell me who they are. <laughs> but they say it and they say it. We believe it. Some are saying there is no resurrection because when we put our minds to it, we can't see how there could be because in my worldview, there is no room for something like this to happen. Let me share two thoughts with you. The resurrection is the content. It is the content for reasonable faith. The resurrection is the content. What we believe is not a story that was developed in time and continues to be perpetuated by those who have embraced the story. What we believe is truly something that happened in space-time it was witnessed by people, and we are told that by believing this event, something can happen to us. Let me give you a couple of ways in which this is reasonable. If the resurrection is a farce, then what I am doing right now is a farce. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. It is empty. It doesn't make sense. It is it's like me telling you that, that I can show you a, a one-leg stool. Sit on it. <laughs> if the resurrection didn't happen, my preaching is vain. It is foolish. 2,000 years of proclaiming this truth some have come to the 21st century and say it isn't true. 2,000 years. No event in history has been examined by foes and friends alike like the resurrection and the incarnation of Jesus Christ and they have yet to prove it to be wrong. Paul preached Peter preached. James preached. Preached that the resurrection took place. If the resurrection did not take place, I have to begin to come to conclusions that one of these days people will wake up and come to the conclusion like some have. So what am I going to do? How am I going to make sure 
that that doesn't happen by making sure that the evidence is there. By making sure that the evidence is there. If, if, if the evidence is there, I, I can prove it. I'll see you in a minute. L listen, I came across this. Uh, listen to the, to the absolute nonsensical approach to one preacher. This is a preacher in the modern times. He said this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, let me see where I begin here. Uh, okay, here. I, this is a preacher getting up on, on a Sunday morning like this, talking to intelligent people. I suggest that we confess openly that the resurrection is a myth. Listen to this. <laughs> I confess, I suggest that, that we confess openly that the resurrection is a myth. This is not to say it isn't true. Do, do you get that? He just said it's a myth, and now it says this is not to say it isn't true. Well, is it a myth or is it true? And so here he is trying to walk this plank without falling in. This is not to say that it isn't true. On the contrary, I say that it is a myth when I say that it is to say that it represents the deepest kind of truth. It represents. Now, if it isn't true, how can it represent anything? Especially the deepest kind of truth. You see, you see ever digging a hole? He goes on. To say that it is a myth is to say that it is not clear what happened historically when the Bible says that Jesus was raised from the dead. It means that we don't have to believe in anything of the account of the resurrection as found in the Bible. Wow. You know what? When I read that, when I heard that being repeated, you know what, what? What really moved me was not that he said that. You know what moved me? That people listened to it. That's what moved me. That anyone would sit and listen to someone say, This is a myth. But that's, I'm not saying it isn't true. And then he goes on. Don't listen to what the Bible have to say about the resurrection. It is a symbol of transcendent truth more than on the, the historical fact. It is a symbol. This man went to seminary, by the way. Or as someone said, he went to cemetery. <laughs> that means that God's truth is open-ended. God's word is not all spelled out and nailed down in literature. But listen, listen, 
God's word is spelled out. Paul said, but now Christ is risen. Look at me. I once denied not only the one I am preaching now, but I would have nothing to do with what was preached about him. On the road to Damascus, I met the risen Lord as one born out of time. Look at me. I am now speaking that which once I tried to silence. That's the evidence. A changed life is the evidence of the resurrection. This man knew absolutely nothing, nothing what he was talking about. God's word is spelled out and nailed down. First by the angel. The first proclaimer of the resurrection was not man, it was angel. And you know, as I was studying this, it occurred to me. Do you, have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus not go to the disciples first? You would have thought they were the first ones. You know what, friends? If Jesus had gone to the disciples first, it could be construed that the whole thing was made up by the disciples. Or Jesus, if he wanted to play it safe, he could have said, I will rise again in spirit. That's what some are saying. Jesus went to the women. And he proved himself alive. And then they went to the disciples. Then the disciples came to the tomb. And when they came to the tomb, it was not just like Jesus said it would happen. It is just like the women said it happened. It's nailed down. And so we find Paul and Peter and James and John and Thomas and August, Augustine, and Wesley, and Whitfield, and Graham, and by the grace of God, Thurton, speaking what the first disciples spoke, nailed down, spelled out, Christ is risen. If that is not true, then my friends, I am just giving you my opinion. And when it comes to my opinion, you can take it or leave it. But this is not opinion. This is facts, historical facts. So, if Jesus Christ is not risen, preaching is a waste of time. A waste of time. Secondly, if Christ is not written, written, uh, risen, faith is useless. Now, this is important. Faith is useless because today we believe it by faith. We weren't there. How do we know it's true? Thomas wasn't there when Jesus came to the disciples. And one week later, when the disciples gathered, Jesus appeared and he went to Thomas and he said, Thomas, here I am. Put your hands in my side. Here are the wounds. And the Greek has something interesting. It says, and Thomas touched. But the word is not that he touched. He was on his way to touching. And before he could touch, he came to the conclusion, I am wasting my time. I don't need to see it. This is the Son of God. This is why when, when he concluded, he said, My Lord and my God, the one that I knew before, this morning is the same one that I know now. And my friends, believing, believing is not 
saying something is something even though I know logically it cannot happen. Believing is when the evidence are there for me to believe. That's what faith is. The singers don't know how thankful I am that for the song they were singing, but that they quoted a little bit of Latin. You know that Latin is... Is, is, a, is a hobby of mine. When I say hobby, I mean, I'd like, if anyone teaches Latin out there, come to me, I'd like to learn it. Uh, I think it's a beautiful language, even though it's dead. And all the, all the, all the, this, the, uh, the apps that teach foreign language, Latin is not one of them for some reason. The word faith comes from the Latin fida. And you know what that word means? Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Listen to the Bible. These things are written that you might believe and that believing you might have life through his name. They were the eyewitnesses. They were there. Peter saw the empty tomb. Peter saw the grave closed. Peter saw the stone removed. <coughs> and they said, we are witnesses of this. And the story has come to you and to me through the written word. And what they said is what we preach, what we believe, and therefore our faith is valid, not vainless, because it is based upon facts, evidence. It's there. Biblical faith is based upon evidence that is trustworthy. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you see, you believe, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you the ones that are blessed. The one who will believe, not believe nothing, but believe the evidence, although they have not seen it. The day is coming when it will happen. Lastly, I want us to look. At one more thing, the cause, the cause of biblical resurrection. It is the cause of biblical forgiveness. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then our preaching is useless. Our faith is without foundation. But another thing, if Jesus Christ is not risen, we are still in our sins. We are in the same condition after the resurrection or the supposed resurrection and before the resurrection. If, if Christ is not risen, we are still in our sins. We're still having to deal with our guilt. We're still having to deal with what we call our shortcomings. If Christ is not risen, what he said to the thief on the cross, today he will be with me in paradise, is not really true. He's only making belief. If Christ is not risen, the Philippian jailer made a tragic mistake. He should have killed himself. Because if there is no God after all this, then the only thing to do is to end it all and come to an end without having to wait for it. We're still in our sins. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you now, I don't have a police record. I've never been arrested in my life. I, I did get chased coming to church here one day, and it wasn't speeding. 
I had my Canadian license plate in the back window of the car. And all of a sudden, I saw this light flashing behind me. Lois and I were coming. <laughs> I thought, I'm not speeding. What is he coming to me for? And he walked up to me, uh, walked to the window, and he says, Sir, the, what is that in, your, in the back window of your car? I said, it's, I said, I'm from Toronto, and I just like to keep the memory alive. He said, well, it's illegal to have a license plate in your back window like this. You must remove it. That's the closest. Well, I think there was one other time. <laughs> but every time they come, they find me innocent. I've never killed anyone. I have never been incarcerated. But my friends, no one can tell me before that good Friday when I surrendered to Jesus Christ that if I had died before that, I, I would be in heaven. There was something in my mind telling me, Winston, something is wrong with you. You are separated from God. Sin has separated between you and God. And sin is not an act that we are, we are guilty about, of. Sin is the proof of the act. Jesus says, we do not sin to become sinners. We sin because we are. And that condition puts us in a place where we are condemned before a righteous, holy God. And the way by which God has provided for you and me to be released from our guilt is he sent his son to the cross and he raised him up on the third day. Because, my friends, if Jesus had stayed in the tomb, it would have meant that his sacrifice was not sufficient for my sins. By raising him, St. Paul said, he was raised because of our justification. Justification means to be set free. To be told you are not guilty. Forgiveness is something that human beings cannot live without we try in so many ways to try and deal with it. We try to change the language of sin. Call it sickness. We try to change the language of adultery and we call it affair. But my friends, we live when we put our heads on our pillows at night. Our minds tell us something is wrong with me. Something is wrong with my world and God calls it sin for all who sin and come short of the glory of God. But Christ was raised from the dead because what he did on Good Friday took care of all the sins of the world on Sunday. One of the great mayors of cities in the world was killed in an accident no one knows how. Conrad Audner was the mayor of Cologne, Germany. Very dedicated man. And Billy Graham had just started his ministry and he was in Germany for a crusade. And he had the privilege to meet Mr. Adner. And in a room he was standing looking at his beloved Cologne from his office room. And he called Mr. Graham and he said, Mr. Graham, I want to ask you a question. 
Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? <laughs> I always find that to be a fascinating question, asking Billy Graham if he believed in the resurrection. <laughs> and Mr. Graham, shaking, said, Yes, sir, I do, Mr. Mayor. And he said to him these words with which I close. I am glad, Mr. Graham, that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because outside of that resurrection, I see no hope for our world. Outside of the resurrection, I see no hope. People live and people die. And life seems to be simply, as Shakespeare put it, all a joke. It's like a theater. It's a mockery. But my friends, my guilt is not a mockery. The people who are weeping this morning because of sinful acts done against them, that's not a mockery. And so Jesus Christ was raised from the dead so that you and I might be given something to live for, something to die for, and something that will be proven to be just what the doctor ordered for your sins and mine, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, friends, as we close, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If you don't, you can trust him this morning. He said, whoever believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. And I trust that it will be your experience to know the risen Christ who is not here. He is risen just as he said. Let's pray. Oh God, May your word affect the hearts it was designed to affect. Not what I think, not what I said, but what was proclaimed from your word. But now is Christ risen. There's a hope. There's a hope that loved ones who have died in Christ will one day come and loved ones who are waiting for him will meet them and so they shall ever be with the Lord. We thank you that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, gives us hope in this world that we can live with the promises of God. We can live experiencing the power of God and we can live enjoying the presence of God. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.